Good morning again. Welcome to The Battles Within. We are pleased that you are here with us today. We are um, continuing our study in Who is Jesus? Uh, this is probably, as I would say, one of the most valuable things that we can do is tell us, talk about who is Jesus and understand him better. We're thankful that uh, you're here attending with us today. Uh, so we're going to get started with a word of prayer. Lord, I thank you so much for this opportunity we have. We can study your word. I pray, Lord, you help us to be able to get into it and see the things you have us to give in, get to understand today. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, not allow the language of this weak man to stumble over your truths, but Lord, that your words be seen and the uh, be seen and heard, so that those who listen and see may understand and they be able to apply it to their lives. We thank you, Lord, for us as we learn who is Jesus, that we can share it your knowledge of yourself with others. For it's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So remember, if you remember last week's lesson, we had, uh, uh, you saw where Jesus went back to his hometown of Nazareth. And um, it didn't go very well, did it? Because if you remember, uh, Nazareth, it was a town Jesus grew up in, he went and presented himself, and they were amazed because they, man, he had grown up with him the whole time. He had grown up and 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 uh, was was with all the uh, the people of the town. It's a relatively small town, and so that kind of um, you know uh, kind of confused them because they said he never said anything about being Messiah until now, and that's because it wasn't his time. You know, he was supposed to grow up like a human with the rest of the humans. And uh, demonstrate that he was a good man. He wasn't just the savior of the world, but he was a man. So uh, he went back to Nazareth. And remember, when he went back to Nazareth, he had just completed a great, uh, you would say, revival. But it was really an evangelistic. They weren't saved already, so it wasn't a revival. It was an evangelistic campaign in Samaria. You know, the place where the Jews hated them and the Samaritans hated the Jews. Yet... Jesus had great uh, uh, success at spreading the news of who he was. And many people came to know him as the Messiah, as the Savior of the world. And uh, he, had, he stayed there, matter of fact, stayed there two days extra uh, as part of that ministry. Well, at this time, he decides to go home, you know, after the Samaritans, he went home but before he went home, he actually went into Galilee, it said, and, and had a ministry in there. So there was a time period from the leaving of the Samaritans to going into Galilee, he had prosperous. And when they asked him about going home, he said, well, you know, a prophet is not really taken seriously in his own country. So I think Jesus went from the Samaria into the Galilean countryside and had a ministry among them. And then it appears he decided to go back to Nazareth. I personally think he went to Nazareth by himself. I don't think he took his disciples. He just went back home. He probably said, listen, you know, you folks stay here. I'm going home. And he went back to his home because it appears, if you remember the lesson last week, that there really wasn't, when Jesus was, uh, he presented himself, he quoted Isaiah from the Messiah, and he then he said, I am that person. You know, people that say that Jesus never proclaimed to be the Savior don't know how to read the Bible. Because clearly the Bible says over and over again that he was the Messiah. 
Matter of fact, we know he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to follow but by me. So clearly, clearly there is a way uh, that, that, that Jesus proclaimed himself to be who he was. But instead of uh, the, uh, the, the, Nazarite, the Nazarenes from Nazareth accepting Jesus as the Savior, they uh, doubted and even attempted to kill him. You know, took him to the edge, you're going to throw him down, and he passed through the mist. Obviously, it was some type of miraculous uh, delivery. That's why I believe Jesus was by himself, because if not, then the disciples couldn't have done that. So, <laughs> where were they were at? So, I believe Jesus was there by himself at that point in time. But at this point in time, so Jesus had just left Nazareth after being, uh, after attempting to murder first time in his life. He escapes and he goes back to where? Well, that's where we begin in Luke 4, Luke 4, chapter 31. It says in the Bible, and, and talking about Jesus, came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and taught them on the Sabbath day. So he just got through having this bad experience, you know, with Nazareth. He goes back to Capernaum, where he had already kind of set up his ministry, remember earlier, took his family and disciples and kind of moved down that way and taught them on the Sabbath day. Now, so after Jesus was rejected from his hometown, he once again continues his ministry in Capernaum. Uh, you know, we remember that Luke had already mentioned Capernaum in verse 23, and that it was a, and we talked about that it was a center, this was the center of a lot of miraculous activity in the ministry of Jesus. A lot of stuff took place in Capernaum. Matter of fact, later on, Jesus, Jesus kind of puts a, curse upon uh, uh, Capernaum because of all the things that was done by Jesus in the city, yet the vast majority of the people in the city still didn't accept Jesus. So, um, the, uh, there's just a minute about Capernaum. Capernaum was on the uh, northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's also known as the Sea of Tiberias, but he was on the northern northwest shore uh, the population of the of Galilee as a whole, which we know, remember, is an intermixed area of Jews and Gentiles, heavily uh, uh, influenced by the Greeks and Romans of that day. Uh, even the Jewish population, even though they stayed Jewish, even though they went to the synagogues, they still obviously participated in a lot of the things that were going on in that area at that time. Uh, the total population of Galilee was approximately 1,500. Uh, uh, the, uh, sorry, the population of Galilee was approximately 3 million people. Uh, the population of Capernaum itself was 1,500. Now that compares to Nazareth that had 400 people. Now we also have Capernaum is an important city because five disciples, we know at least five of the disciples, came from Capernaum. Peter and Andrew, James, John, and Matthew, they all came from Capernaum. Uh, Luke adds a geographical note to his statement because he says uh, uh, the city of Galilee. The only reason why he would add that is because he wanted the people to know, the, the, the Greek writers, the Gentile people, to know that it was in Galilee. They might know anything about Capernaum, but they certainly knew Galilee. And it says he came down. Now, Capernaum is actually located on the, we said on the Sea of Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee. Nazareth is being higher in the hills. So Nazareth is higher up 
And so he would, obviously, because it was they were throwing him down, right? So it was actually a higher area. So for him to travel to Capernaum, he was actually traveling down the mountain into Capernaum. And so that's why it says he, that, that, that Jesus came down. It says that he taught them in their synagogues, on the, taught them on the Sabbath day. This is a practice, by the way, that Peter, that uh, uh, Paul did. When Paul would go into a new city, he would speak in the synagogues first to win the Jews, and then he would go to the Gentiles. That was his strategy. Well, Jesus made a practice of, of preaching on synagogues on, on the Sabbath day, but think about it. Jesus was famous, for the most part, in this region of the world at this point in time. And as we talked about it before, that when they have the Sabbath day, if there's, a, if there's an honored speaker in the group, they always get an opportunity to do the sermon. So Jesus, in most places he went, would have had the opportunity to speak at during the Sabbath day because he obviously attended church or that church every day. He attended the synagogues every Sabbath day, as was his practice always. Now, uh, it said on the Sabbath days, which means Jesus continually did this. It wasn't a one-time event. This something he continually did in Capernaum was preach on the Sabbath days. They, as far as we can see, Capernaum really had one big synagogue. It was a pretty good-sized synagogue, 1,500 people in the town. A lot of those people in the town, though, not necessarily Jews. So this is because of 1,500. Remember, it's a large Jewish-Gentile community, so there probably was not nowhere near 1,500 Jews in there. So it was a good-sized building, but it was nowhere near as what you would think. They didn't need 1,500 place of 1,500 but still, it was a good-sized synagogue. But that would be the synagogue that he was in every week. And no doubt they asked him to speak on many days. Let's look at verse 32 of chapter 4. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for his word was with power. He said they were astonished at his doctrine or his teaching compared to other people. The, the form and the manner in which he presented his truths, amazed the people. Um, now, isn't it interesting how these people were amazed and accepted what he said compared to Nazareth, who heard it and heard the gracious words because Jesus preached of peace and of, of redemption, and the, Jew, the Jews in Nazareth were looking for a Messiah that was going to be a warrior. He would, they, would, they stumbled over the things that they weren't understanding. Jesus will be a warrior, but he'll be a warrior when he comes back for his millennial reign uh, at the end of the rapture period. But this time he came back as a lamb before the slaughter. He came to save us from our sins. He came full of grace. And even the Nazarites recognize his grace. Well, when he comes to this city here, they see it. And they were amazed by his doctrine. They weren't offended by it. They were amazed by it. And they said, they continue, it says, for his word was with power. You know, the Jews used to hearing the scribes and the Pharisees, and they would preach dry, and, and, and they were talking about rules and regulations. They mostly, the, the scribes and Pharisees mostly created, uh, uh, their sermons were that created, that imprisoned the soul. Their messages imprisoned the soul. Whereas Jesus spoke a message that freed the soul. The scribes preached a message of rules that we can never keep, that we're all going to fall short on, 
And Jesus preached a message of salvation, that we serve God, that God is gracious, that God can forgive us for our sins if we trust in the Messiah. It was a big difference between the messages. And they said his word was with power. So Matthew tells us later in uh, verse, chapter 7, verse 28, 29, and it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So the scribes in that day didn't teach with authority. They pretty much just kind of read the script because they scribed it, they wrote it in, and they read what they wrote. And so if you go to theirs, it's pretty dry messages. You know, we sing a hymn, or at least most churches that have not abandoned the old ways, that still sing hymns, sing a song entitled Wonderful Words of Life. It's a song written by uh, Philip Paul Bliss in 1874. And it goes uh, it goes like, I'm not going to sing it for you this morning, I will definitely read it to you. <laughs> sing them over again to me, Wonderful Words of Life. Let me more of their beauty see, wonderful words of life. Words of life and beauty, teach me faith and duty. Wonder, beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful walls of life. Wonder, beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Christ the Blessed One gives to all wonderful words of life. Sinner, listen to the loving call, wonderful words of life. Also freely given, wooing us to heaven, Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Sweetly echoes the gospel call, wonderful words of life. Offer pardon and peace to all, wonderful words of life. Jesus only Savior, sanctify us forever. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. See, that's a song we sing in many of our churches today because the words of Jesus were wonderful, beautiful. Uh, uh, they were they were very gracious words, and people understood that. Even like I said, the Nazarites, the Nazarenes. I mean, even though they didn't accept it, they recognized the wonderful words of grace that Jesus proclaimed. They said the people could see a difference in between those priests. How many of us today go to church and we sit among our pastors who are preaching the gospel or are supposed to be preaching the word and they're not preaching words of wonderful words. They may have given in into liberalism and into uh, uh, the, the, the watered down gospel. They don't preach about the blood. People say the God, the Christian ministry, the Christian religion is a bloody religion. Yes, it is. Oh, I don't want a religion that's bloody. I want a religion that's peace and love and, and contentment. Well, you're right. Christianity is not that. Because Christianity is about paying for our sin. And see, because man is sin, sin is a wicked, ugly thing in the eyes of God. should be in the eyes of us. And because of that, because of that ugly, wicked sin, it has to be paid for in a vile, vicious way. Someone has to die has to suffer and die, which we know and we'll see later on that Jesus Christ took our place. He was a propitiation for our sins. He became the sacrifice for us. His blood was shed. He was tortured and hung up on a cruel cross. That's with nails nailed to his hands and his feet with a crown of thorn, pierced his side with a sword. 
You understand? It's a it is a it's an ugly, ugly thing that death had to happen because of our sins. Our sins caused that. And to not proclaim that would be wrong. So see, these people saw though a difference between the preaching of Jesus and the preaching of the scribes. I hope today you can see the difference between the preaching of the gospel by a minister who's in touch with the word of God and those who are just there to tickle your ears, to make you laugh, make you feel good about yourself. Luke chapter 4, beginning of verse 33, 34. And the synagogue, and in the synagogue there was a man which had a spirit of an unclean devil and cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. So we see when Jesus went into the synagogue, there was a man in the synagogue which had a spirit of unclean devil. It appears, by the way, that this man was already in the synagogue. It said there in the synagogue was a man. So it wasn't someone who came to get his demon taken out. It was a man who came who happened to have a demon. How many demons are there in our church today? You know, uh, are there people in our church today who are filled with demons? It's possible that there are churches of people in your church today who have demons and that need to be re- need to be expelled from it. Uh, the, the, the crowd may not even notice that this particular individual had a demon. That He may have just been living among them. The demon controlling what they did, controlling their lives. Not outwardly where people can see it, but inwardly. How many of us have secret sins that we don't share with other people? That the deep, we have a demon possession that, that, can, that keeps us bound. That, uh, that, that, that prevents us from releasing that evil sin that's in our life that others know not of. Those old secret sins, maybe a demon is possessing you and holding you down with that. Preventing you from knowing the truth. Well, if you're a Christian, demons can't possess you. <laughs> you hear me? If you're a Christian, demons cannot possess you. They cannot. Because you cannot have, the, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. and The Holy Spirit cannot dwell with evil. Now, you can commit sins, you can commit acts of sins, but you won't practice sins. See, God promised us that. When Jesus comes into our heart, the Holy Spirit comes into our heart, he convicts us and, and, and possesses us. So we can't have a demon. This man here was not a believer. He was a he had not been a receiver. He might have been a believer, not a receiver. There's a difference. You can be a believer and believe and not receive. We'll talk about that in a moment. And when the crowd man, I mean, notice this person was possessed by an unclean spirit. Uh, let's read the continue the second the read the second part of that. And it says that this demon cried out with a loud voice, saying, "Let us alone! What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us?" So see, while Jesus was preaching, the demon inside of this man became afraid. James chapter two verse nineteen says, "Thou believest that there is one God; thou doest well." The devils also believe and tremble. See, the demons tremble at the word of God. They tremble at Jesus Christ. And you want to get demons out of your way? You want demons to start affecting your family, your friends? Start preaching the word of God. The demons tremble at the word of God. 
They tremble at the word of God. Uh, these particular demons we see were begging for their lives from the master of the universe. The question was not whether will he, will he destroy them. They knew their time was limited. They knew that it would not be long before their days were numbered and they'd be cast into the lake of fire with the devil and the rest of his demons. They knew the day was coming. The question they had was, is that today? <laughs> are you to do it today? Are you here today? You know, are you come to destroy us today? See, the time demons know there will be a time coming when God has promised to cast Satan. Revelation chapter 20 verse 10 says, The devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. There's coming a day when Satan and his army will be cast into the lake of fire. And the demons wanted to know, Lord, is that day today? Uh, they even quoted, they even said, I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. So the demons had to give Jesus the respect that he deserved, even in their fallen states. The demons have to recognize Jesus. That's what I'm telling you. If Jesus Christ is living inside of you, they have to recognize the Holy Spirit inside of you. They cannot violate you because the Holy Spirit lives within you. They acknowledge that this man, Jesus, is indeed the Holy Son of God. These people in the, in the congregation at the Sabbath day, at the, the synagogue, heard this man who was possessed of a demon, heard the demons inside of him say, Thou art the Son of God. Thou art the Holy One of God. Now verse 35. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace, and come out of him. And when the devil had thrown him in the midst, he cast out of him and came out of him and heard him not. See, Jesus rebuked him saying, Hold thy peace, come out. So upon the confession of Jesus being the Son of God by this demon, Jesus does three things. First thing he does is he rebukes him. Jesus doesn't need a demon to proclaim that he's Lord. Jesus does not need the demons to proclaim he's the Son of God. So the next thing he does is he tells him to stop speaking. He, he condemns him for speaking to start off with. Right? He rebukes him. And then he says, hold thy peace. See, this is not the way God wants his message spread. He doesn't want demonic people telling people about Jesus. He doesn't want people to think that he's associated with those people because he's not. He finally gives them a command. The third thing he does is he commands. He commands the demon to come out of this man. So he rebukes him for telling about Jesus. He tells him to stop telling anything about him. And then he tells him to get out. And what has happened? What does the demon do? And when the devil had thrown him in the midst, he came out of him and heard him not. So what did the devil do after Jesus commanded? The demon never says a word again. When Jesus said, shut up. And don't say another word. Hold your peace, he said. Shut up. Be quiet. The demon never can say again. Because see, when God commands it, they cannot do it. That's what I'm telling you, folks, in your life. If you're, if you're not saved today and demons are controlling your life, let the Holy Spirit come in you because Jesus will tell them to shut up in your life. Don't speak anymore. 
Be quiet. I don't need this. You don't need this. Get out of him. So what did the demon do? They shut up. They never said another word. But by showing that the man went into convulsions, he kind of went, you know, he was like, like he's going to throw up or, or having a fit. See, the demon did not, the demon wanted to disobey God. The demon wants to disobey God, but he can't. You understand? There's a difference. I, uh, I, I say there's a diff, there is a difference between doing something the right way and doing something the right way because you're told to do it the right way. <laughs> you understand? You're not doing it just haphazardly. You're doing it because this is the requirement. In the case here, the demons did not want to obey God, but they had no choice. So the demons, it said, came out. They must obey the word of God whether they like it or not. What a powerful thing the word of God is. Demons must obey the word of God. The man was not harmed, it said, during the process. So even though he may have had some type of like an epileptic fit type thing, convulsions of some type, body jerking because the demon didn't want to go, the man was not harmed in the process. Luke 36-37 And they were all amazed and spake upon themselves, saying, What a word is this! For with authority and power he commandeth the unclean spirits, and they come out. I mean, the crowd responded in amazement. This was the talk of the town. Did you see what Jesus did? Did you see what Jesus, the Nazarite, the Nazarene did? Jesus from Nazareth? The demons proclaimed his name, and Jesus rebuked them for it, and then he cast them out, and that man no longer has a demon? So the story was no doubt told about what Jesus did and the power of his word. He didn't touch him. He just made a word and they, psh, they left him. He didn't even have to lay hands on this man to clean him from his demon. See, Jesus had only to speak the word, come out, and it did it. Come out. That's all he had to say. See, Jesus only needs to speak the word and sins are forgiven. He can speak the word and diseases are cured. <coughs> he can just speak the word. See, Jesus has the power and the authority to control evil in this world if we ask him to do so. It says in the latter part of that, and the fame of him went out into every place of the country round about. So as a result of the people telling the story, the fame of Jesus was spread out. Note, he did not rebuke the people for spreading the gospel, for telling other people, but only the demons. See, God expects us to tell the story. Tell the story. What a great story we have to tell. Tell the story to the nations, as one of our hymns say. Shout it to the rooftops. Share it with your family and your friends and your neighbors. Tell them what God did for you. That's the way you testify. That's the way you witness to people. Tell them about Jesus. He did not tell you not to do it. He told the demons to stop doing it. He doesn't need the demons to tell people about Jesus because that's our job. So, we're the method that God plans to use to spread the news of his son. Now, I was going to stop here, but I want to continue on just a moment. We have a little more time today. So, I want to go into the next thing. So, after, if we look at the next verse, verse 38 of Luke chapter 4, 
It says, And he, being Jesus, arose out of the synagogue and entered into Simon's house. And Simon's mother was taken with a great fever, and they besought him for her. So we see that after Jesus had just delivered this man from the demonic service, and the service had ended, he's informed by Simon Peter, who at this time was a follower, not a disciple. That's important, because we'll see later on why that's important. That his mother-in-law was sick. Now, Peter knew Jesus. Peter had already become a follower of Jesus. Jesus already called him to be a follower. So no doubt Peter was in the synagogue at the time of the synagogue at the time of that, and he was concerned for his mother-in-law. He had a feast. She had a fever, a great fever, it says. So they told Jesus about it, and Jesus left after the Sabbath was over with, after the synagogue, I mean the, the synagogue morning messes had been over. He went to Simon Peter's house, where his mother-in-law's at who has a great fever. Luke tells us she had a great fever. Now remember, Luke is a doctor, a physician. So when he says she had a great fever, he meant she was sick. She had a great fever. It was excelling. It was higher than it should be. There was a danger of death resulting from this fever. And it says they besought him for her. They said, listen, they, being obviously Peter's family and his friends, besought Jesus to help and heal this, the mother-in-law of Peter. Verse 39. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever. He being Jesus. Stood over her and rebuked the fever. And let, left her immediately. It left her immediately and, and, and she arose and ministered to them. So we see Jesus comes into the room where she's laying on the bed. He stood over her. You know, he demonstrated he had no fear of whatever her sickness was. That she might have, he'd have no fear about that. You know, this day of uh of COVID that we have going on with us right now and among ourselves, you know, we have that fear of other people. Uh not saying we shouldn't be taking precautions, you know. I'm in favor of vaccines, some people are not, that's okay. Uh some people are in favor of masks, I'm not, that's okay. I mean, you know, so I mean, but but the point is you do what you write for your family, what you think is right for your family. But the point is, Jesus comes into the room and stood over her. He wasn't afraid of anything. He demonstrated no fear whatsoever. His standing over also demonstrates that he had authority over the sickness. He stood over her. He had the authority. And it says Jesus rebuked the sickness. Now, that makes me think that perhaps the sickness was brought on by some type of demonic influence. You know, it's come some type of demonic action that took place. Because he rebuked the sickness. I don't know how you rebuke sickness, but I know you can rebuke a demon. You can rebuke an individual. It says here he rebuked the sickness. So perhaps, uh, perhaps this was a sickness brought upon her by some type of demonic action. Evidently, there was a huge demonic outbreak in this town because we'll see a little later on that there was a lot of people, a lot of demons were cast out during the time of the healing services. So that there was demons that were spreading throughout the town. It was like an epidemic. But it says as soon as he rebuked the, rebuked the sickness, it left her. And immediately she arose and ministered unto them. That makes me think that she was possessed by, she had some type of demonic action going on. And Jesus rebuked the demon and the demon immediately left. And when he did, she was as good as new. 
you know, if your body is sick for a period of time, it takes, even with the fever breaks, it takes time to get over it. In this day where a lot of people have had COVID, you know, they, they got COVID and they may have had bad cases or small cases, but it still took days, months even. Some people still battling with it uh, to get over the, 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 the sickness. Well, in this case, it immediately was gone. And she immediately rose and said, minister to her. So not only did Jesus heal her, but she immediately arose and fixed supper for him. She fixed food for him. Uh, 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 so that's another reason it's possible that her sickness might have been brought on by demonic action. Because to fix supper in that day was an action. It wasn't something easy. We didn't go to McDonald's or pop something out of the refrigerator and put it in the microwave, as many of our people do today. No, she had to fix food. She had to fix biscuits or bread or whatever they have for it. So look at Luke 4.40. And when the sun was setting, all they that had sick with diverse diseases brought them unto him, and he laid his hand on every one of them and healed them. So to tell when the sun was setting. Remember, this was the Sabbath day. And the Sabbath day ran from Saturday afternoon until Sunday afternoon. And when the sun sat down, it was the end of the Sabbath day. So as soon as the Sabbath day ended, all these people that were been in the synagogue went and got every one of their sick people that they had and brought them to Jesus. Uh, because if they had done it during the Sabbath day time period, that would have been wrong. That would have been a violation of the Jewish pharisaical rules and they might have been cast out of the synagogue for it. So verse, we continue on to that verse. It says, All they that had any sick with diverse diseases brought them unto him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Everyone around who had had sick brought them to Jesus at Simon's house. And he touched each one, and they were all healed. Now, it's interesting that they did not have as much faith as the nobleman did, who went away, and his son was healed instantly 17 miles away. These people required a touch from Jesus' hand. Luke 4, 41. And the devils also came out of many, crying out and saying, Thou art Christ, the Son of God. And he rebuking them, suffered them not to speak, for they knew that he was Christ. Interesting that several of these sick folks were sick because of demonic activity. As I said, I believe there was a demonic outbreak in the town of Capernaum. And uh, it's possible that this happened it's possible that when Jesus declared that he was moving his ministry to Capernaum, remember many months before that, because he had moved to Capernaum and then his family, he took his family to Jerusalem for the feast, the Passover, and they went through all that process that we went through, including going to Samaritan, winning more followers, all those things that he did. When he comes back to Capernaum, it seems like there's an outbreak of demonic activity. You know, where God is at, when, when you have God establishes a church, if someone wants to put a new church in a new location, I assure you, demonic activity is going to occur. Satan is going to try his best to influence people, and the lost he can influence. I always tell people this, never trust the lost. Never trust the lost. They can do anything. Don't be surprised when the lost people do something. I see people on Facebook all the time say, I can't believe people did that. I can't I can understand why people would do that. It's because they're lost. Because they're influenced by Satan, not by the Holy Spirit. You understand? The lost don't have the same guiding light that we had. They're easily acceptable to satanic behavior. Demons can possess them. They can't possess us. Our cup is full. They can't possess us. Our shell's already taken. They can't possess us. 
but they certainly can the lost. So evidently during this time period, a lot of people were possessed by demons because it says that devils also came out of many crying out saying thou art the Christ. So these families did not necessarily know, but Jesus knew it and cleansed them. They just thought they were sick. Uh, something was wrong about them, but they were demon-possessed. Now note the same command he gives to these demons as before. Yeah, he tells them, rebuking them and saying, suffer them not to speak, for they knew that he was Christ. He said, I don't want that happening. I don't plan on you being the method. I plan on my people being the method to preach the gospel. So today, in today's, as we conclude this message today, Today we saw the power of Jesus to heal. He had power. He preached with power. They first of all saw his power in his preaching. That's the first thing. That's the greatest thing that a minister can be is a man of the word, a preacher of the gospel. That people, when they sit and hear the gospel, they know this is the word of God. That is coming from the word of God. It is the word of God for the day. That God is proclaiming something new for them to hear and understand. We should be praying for our pastors all the time that they are in tune with the with the the Holy Spirit and that God leads and directs them into the the message that we are in need of hearing, because they're a messenger to us from the Word. But they need to be preaching it from the Word of God. If they don't use the Word of God, then that's a problem. If they're not using the Word of God to proclaim the message, but but focusing on a social agenda. They may throw in a verse in there just for the sake of, uh, of saying they're biblical, but then they go off on a tangent that deals with something that you would be able to come up with any secular book to proclaim. That's not what God wants for our churches today. So we see Jesus preached the Word of God. He opened the Word of God. He preached the Word of God to them, and many people heard and understood and accepted Him as the Messiah. But then he comes back with the power of demonic. He's able to not only have power over the sick people, the physical ailments, but he has the power over the demonic spirits to cast them out. Jesus is God. What a wonderful God we serve. What a mighty God he is. And get this, though. The most important thing about Jesus is, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you know Jesus Christ, your Savior, today? If you don't, I would pray that today would be the day that you come to know him as your Lord and Savior. You know, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, I thank you so much for this opportunity we have. We can study your word. I thank you, Lord, that you're not only a powerful God that can heal our sicknesses, but you can cleanse us from un from demonic activity. I pray, Lord, for those people who are lost today that they come to know you so that if there's demonic activity in their life, it can be expelled. It can be rebuked by the name of the Son of God. It can be rebuked so that it's clear. I pray, Lord, today that you'd help our pastors as they stand in the pulpits and they preach the gospel, that they come from the mighty power of God, the Word of God, so that others might come to know you as their Savior. Again, we thank you for all you do for us. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I thank you for your time and your attention today. Look forward to uh, uh, next week as we start looking at some more in the life of Simon Peter and God actually calling his first disciples to be disciples and not just followers. Until then, may God bless you.